This is the Talk Theater in Chicago interview podcast. I'm your host this week, Ann Nicholson Weber. My guests today are Eric Hoff and Ryan Bork. Eric directed For the Inconvenience, the production of Hit the Wall, currently showing at uh, Steppenwolf Garage. And Ryan, who is a member of the company, did the fight choreography for this show. And um, it's a... It's not a devised show. It's a. It was written by the playwright Ike Holter, but it has. A, it's hard to describe why I feel this way, but it has the feeling of coming out of the company somehow. So I'm interested to talk about the process and see if that's at all true. Yeah. Um, and then I particularly wanted to talk to Ryan because the uh, the play concerns the Stonewall Uprising in the Village in New York, which is considered to be kind of the genesis of a formal gay rights movement and um the the riot itself is depicted in the show and i thought that the the fight was really fabulous so i wanted to talk to ryan about that so let's let's first um uh, set up the show a little bit and maybe eric um you could describe where it came from and how you got involved well it came from i think ike's brain um i He's not here right now, but I'll speak for him. When he was in high school in Minneapolis, he was told by a, his teacher, I believe, his high school teacher, that he should learn something about the Stonewall riots, which was something he hadn't heard of before. He did his research and was fascinated. And so some sort of seed was planted back then. And uh, when the inconvenience was considering submitting to the garage rep, because there's a formal application and mm-hmm. process through which um, company, young companies, storefront companies go through um, seeking a spot in the garage rep here at Steppenwolf, he decided that that's what he wanted to write about. Yeah. And so that's how uh, the play came into being. He wrote it, he locked himself in a room and wrote it in three weeks before the deadline, is my <laughs> understanding. <laughs> and this is all... Um, I was unaware of this wild inconvenience. No, I wasn't Mm -hmm. involved at all. Mm -hmm. Um, In the meanwhile, I was producing the Wojciech Project, which was a co-pro with Hypocrites and About Face Theater, two companies I've worked with before. And uh, in that process, I directed a staged reading of Wojciech of Sarajevo by playwright Doyle Avant, um, for which we put a live rock band that did an improvised score for the entire stage reading. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of stylistically was grooving with what Ike had in mind already. He for, saw the show? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the whole company mm-hmm. saw it and we filmed it. Oracle Productions actually did a live feed of it, which is still, to my knowledge, is still available online, oh, part cool. of their sort of public access mission statement. And what was the timing of that compared to when Ike had written or was it going to write the well, That was mid-May, and I think yeah. he submitted June 3rd or something. I'm yeah. probably getting my uh-huh. dates not quite right, so but it's all the same time. he was actually in the time. heat of it when exactly. he's uh-huh, Exactly. It. Well, so, um, Ryan, maybe you could tell us a little bit about The Inconvenience. This is the first um, show I've seen uh, of the company, mm-hmm. but I, and I know you have kind of somewhat unusual roots, let's mm-hmm. say, as an ensemble. So can you just explain that part of it? Yeah. Um, we started off basically all living together in a loft space over on Wellington and Lincoln. Uh-huh. So we had a large group of people who were multi multidisciplinary artists. Um a lot of went to a lot of them went to school for theater, um, a couple musicians, uh, a couple dancers, and uh everyone kinda had an interest in what everyone else was doing and we all wanted to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. Uh it was a time where not many people had a lot of money, kinda right in the beginning into the middle of uh I feel like a, the worst time of the recession. And, uh, you know, all we had was what 
we had in front of us. And I think, you know, the Voidsec project, um, really comments on that because the band came into it because you wanted music and we knew some musicians. So it's, you know, we're always kind of, we use what we have in front of us. And, um, yeah, most of it was about, you know, creating conversation and, um, making connections with people, not in a networking professional way, but like friendships and, uh, things that'll go beyond, you know, the project that you're doing at that time. And, um, Slowly it started to evolve in bigger productions that we did in this space and, you know. In the apartment. In the, yeah. Uh-huh. And it was a, it was a big loft space. Okay. So yeah, mm-hmm. it wasn't like a, an apartment. We were able to put on big productions with, you know, two or three hundred people being able to watch these play festivals that we put on. Uh, we did a lot of concerts and we showcased, um, local bands from all over the place and kind of, uh, started raising it above the level of it just being a party, but, having a mass gathering of people watching um, some really like nitty gritty art and uh, we couldn't really, you know, afford to pay anybody and everyone was really just there for the uh, event and the experience mm-hmm. of uh, each night that we did something. So you, so you were doing theater pieces that were written by, you weren't yet an ensemble formally, but by the group. Yeah, we were, we had been, uh, the Inconvenience started off as a place. We called this loft the Inconvenience. And the two and a half years that we were all together in that space was about learning how we could work together. And um, we didn't realize it until we moved out that we could take what we learned there and explode it into the Chicago area. Um, so when did you start thinking of yourself as a theater company, or do you? Uh, we don't think of ourselves as a theater company. Okay. Actually, we think of ourselves as a um, an artistic syndicate is what we went by for a while. People <laughs> said that it sounded like a mob group. but uh, Which you kind of like. Yeah. I can tell. You guys. <laughs> um, we have four different departments. We have a music department, dance department, art department, and um, our theater department. Uh-huh. Um, we slowly started to develop an idea of what we could do, not just have a bunch of people put some art on the wall, have some music and have like, you know, little skits going on. But we would put on, uh, we had a couple different theater festivals where we had uh, like 10 minute plays written by local artists. Um, and we put them up in like a cabaret style, you know, um, we were just trying to showcase work and we had the opportunity, we had the means, we had the room to do that. And, um, that's kind of where it came from. Then at some point you became an organization that thought, gee, it would be fun for us to be at the garage, Steppenwolf Garage. Yeah. So what happened was we all moved out and we didn't want to stop doing what we were doing. So we decided to apply for a 501c3. Uh, we right away hit the ground running with, um, we put up a, uh, a music series called A Little Bit Louder Now, um, which every month we showcased a brand new uh we had a concert every month at the Viaduct Theater. We showcased three or four oh. bands. Uh, we also started right away with our uh, Fresh Meat Reading Series, which uh, every month the theater department put up a small reading of a new play devised by local playwrights. We would get local... And not dev- specifically members of the company. No, like, uh, you know... It started off, I did a couple, the members of the company would act in them, would direct in them, but, you know, mainly we really wanted to work with other people. We wanted to find new artists, find, you know, other people are going to bring us to where we're going to go, you know. Um, So we did that every month, and then we had an opportunity to do um, a play by Brett Neveu at um, the Red Orchid Theater, uh, a Red Orchid Theater, uh, Mm -hmm. called The Earl, which they did in 2004. 
Uh, we had Danny Goldring, who was like the most amazing man ever, uh, who's like a Chicago, you know, veteran actor. He came in and, um, he really just taught us a lot. You know, it was myself and Chris Kamelik, who's the artistic director and Walter Briggs, who was, um, who is the, uh, head of the theater department. And who's in the show. Plays the cop. Right. And plays the cop right. and hit the wall. Right. So that was kind of our first opportunity, um, to get press. That got us a lot of press in town through, because of Danny, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, people just started seeing the name Inconvenience and we were still kind of known as a theater company because that was our first, like, spike in Chicago mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. press. Um, so then from there, you know, we're, we've been really trying to get away from, being known as a theater company. But you shouldn't have a hit at the Steppenwolf Garage. Sorry. I know, right? No, I know, I know. <laughs> Bad move. It just so happens that, you know, in our theater company, uh, or in the, the uh, theater department, it, mm. uh, that's where we've hit the most with, uh, press. But, mm-hmm. you know, if you look at the big scheme of things, we've done a lot in the music department and a lot in the, um, dance department. We had, uh, our choreographer, Aaron Kilmurray for Hit the Wall, uh, produced a, huge dance show called Standing Room Only at the Viaduct in um, August. And that brought a a lot of local choreographers. We got a lot of good press on that. And uh, slowly we're starting to, like, get our other departments up there, you know. It just so happens that when it hit the wall, it was totally unexpected that it was going to uh, go this route. Um, Well, so, so Eric, for you coming into a group – when you were essentially an outsider, I mean, a friend obviously sounds like you were connected in multiple ways, but this is not your company. Um, I, I don't know. What was that like? I guess is my question. Did it, did it matter? Uh, it, it did matter very much so. And I think that they didn't want, I think, I don't think the inconvenience wanted to hire a freelance director who was going to come in and completely disregard yeah. what the inconvenience does. Mm-hmm. I should say that back when the incon was at the loft, um, they did a couple one act play festivals for which Ike wrote shows. Uh, a playwright that I've worked with, Chelsea Markintel, wrote shows as well as my friend Kaylin Parrish. And so because I'm friends with all these young playwrights, I was going to this loft and I didn't know these guys personally, mm-hmm. but I do have this like memory of seeing Chris Kamelik bring his bike up the stairs while there's hundreds of people or dozens at least of people sweating in the summertime waiting for this, you know, one act play festival to begin in this loft. And I thought, I don't know if I could live in a loft yeah. of this many people when there's like performance programming happening all the time, but it was totally badass, you know? Yeah. And, uh, a lot of the playwrights that I currently work with, um, I still work with Chelsea and I am in communication regularly with Caitlin. I mean, my introduction to their work was through these one act festivals at the inconvenience. Mm-hmm. So, and I, you know, from a sort of, from their institution, they produced this art show slash performance show called Little Things, which uh, Mary Williamson, who plays Madeline and Hit the Wall, she curated this night of visual art paired with um, written pieces by other artists that were then performed by either that same artist or another. So this sort of interdisciplinary, cross-disciplinary mm-hmm. um, approach to creating new work, which I think is really exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk a lot as an artist about breaking down the silos of what we think are genres of um, artistic venture. So especially in the performing arts, I don't understand the need to classify oneself one way or the other, but that's sort of how the system is set up. So it's too easy to do. And uh, in any case, when Chris called me and I knew that I've, I've known Ike for some time and I know his writing. And so when they called me and said, are you interested in this project? I mean, the first thing that attracted to me, attracted me to the project was, 
that my mission statement is to explore the intersection of beautiful art and social justice. And so a project like Hit the Wall, which is um, a sort of remix, to use Ike's term, of an historical event for which there's really fuzzy history, mm-hmm. um, whatever history means um, to you. And I thought that was a perfect example or opportunity, rather, for me as a director to approach a project that was right in line with my mission statement. And because I am always sort of seeking these cross-disciplinary ventures, it was um, a pretty good match, I think. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've known these guys for some time, but but it was definitely my introduction to the company. I certainly, except for Wojciech of Sarajevo, hadn't worked with them yeah. in a sort of a long-term capacity. So I got called in in June... And, uh, had, had they already heard? Cause it, you said that Ike submitted it like May, early May. Yeah, it was, um, there was like a couple of tiers to the process. I'm not exactly sure on the time uh-huh. frame on what they, they, they basically a year ago. Yeah, yeah. They knew that they had the slot mm-hmm. for the garage wrap mm-hmm. and that's when they made the call to yeah. me. Yeah. Well, so how, uh, developed was the script, Eric, when you came in? Was it pretty much fully there or did it go through a lot of rewriting as you developed the piece? In early June, I had moved to New York and I got a call from Chris the next day. Um, said, do you want to come back? So, uh, but he sent me in an email, uh, a full script. I mean, like an 80 page script. Yeah. That was, I think, Ike's draft number two is what they sent me. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, yeah, it was fully developed. I mean, we could have, we could have put the show on with that script. Mm-hmm. What we, um, opened the show with at the garage space on February 18th is the heart of the show is very much the same, but mm-hmm. the actual structure and the language has changed significantly. Mm-hmm. I don't know how many drafts we're on right now, but, mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. but A lot more probably than two. in the double digits. Oh, yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And, um, it's gone through, gone through tons of overhauls and Ike is an incredibly open playwright. He, he receives feedback and criticism and is willing to talk about ideas. We worked with a really wonderful dramaturg named Kelly Kerwin. And the three of us, kind of as a little team, mm-hmm. met a lot and talked about what the play wanted to be, mm-hmm. um, where Ike's very distinctive voice should land, and um, how style and form and function, every, how that's all interplaying in the script. You know, it's this blend of docudrama meets, you know, direct address meets straight up narrative arc and sort of almost a lyrical content um, in this musical capacity with a rock band that is at times scoring the piece. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's a lot of, you know, distinct styles and elements mm-hmm. that are coming together. And so it took, it took all of us, yeah. um, you know, Ike, Ike works best when he can see things staged and that's how I like to workshop a show is I like mm-hmm. to put it on its feet and get it moving and get, get a draft of the movement pattern so that he can look at it, I can look at it, and we can figure out where the holes are and what the strengths are. And mm-hmm. and that's how we worked from yeah. August when we had our first reading here at Steppenwolf um, until we opened the show. We started off the whole rehearsal process with a movement workshop mm-hmm. uh, led by the three of us, Aaron, myself, and Eric. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm sorry, you started off every rehearsal or just the beginning of the rehearsal no, before early the, rehearsals? Before the rehearsals even started. I think uh-huh. it was when was it January? It was uh, the third week, the second week of December. Mm-hmm. We did five nights in a row of uh, movement, dance, and violence workshopping. Mm-hmm. And yeah. we didn't even crack the script the entire week. No, it but was... Aaron Kilmurray, our choreographer and movement director, and Ryan Bork and myself, we sort of had a little 
trifecta of, of leadership in that. And we were all sweating it out together. Yeah. So what, when you don't have content, essentially, I mean, you're not doing the play, what are you doing? A bunch of different physical exercises. Uh-huh. Um, I brought a lot of fight things uh, that I wanted to try out. I didn't know how to create a riot on stage with 10 people. Whose decision was it to start with the movement? That was me, yeah. Because I'm focusing on that because I thought one of the strikingly excellent elements of the show was the movement. And I, mm-hmm. you know, there was something that really came out of emphasizing that from the beginning that That's, communicated. As a director, what I like to do is start with the, with a visual element or with the body, which is a, in itself a visual element. And so with a script like this, where there was going to be as much violence as there is mm-hmm. and was going to be in as well as dancing, there's a whole party scene right. at the, uh, right. at the Stonewall in itself. And, um, there's a lot of street culture stuff going on and, and people moved physically in 1969 in a way that they did not, that we do not anymore. Mm-hmm. People wore undergarments that forced them to move in a different way than, than mm-hmm. we do now. Um, we had, you know, we have a drag queen on stage wearing three inch stilettos. And right. so Manny, our drag queen had to learn how to work those heels, which he <laughs> does quite well. <laughs> but I wanted to build a, a vocabulary, a movement based vocabulary such that after um, the holidays, when we got back to staging rehearsals on January 3rd, the entire team, including the cast, had a, a system and a way of speaking to each other and moving with each other that was already understood so that there wasn't that awkward first week of rehearsal where yeah. people are kind of hesitant to touch each other. Mm-hmm. People are self-conscious about their smell or their sweat. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause we spent five nights in a row sweating all over each other and I was in there too. And Ryan was. And so Ryan led a lot of, I would say martial arts based, um, fight choreography in the form of sort of exercises. Mm-hmm. Um, I did these sort of Tai Chi lines where we did various stretches. We, um, we built a, a 10 minute warm up that incorporates, um, various, uh, hits and blocks and kicks and does some movement based stuff, stuff that allows the performer to become aware of all different sort of cardinal directions of the room. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was just at the show on Wednesday night and we did that again. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's a 10 minute warm up that we developed back in December that has continued it's to a now. Cornerstone, yeah. It is a cornerstone. And, and I think it's a silly way to say it, but because we were sweating all over each other before we even cracked open a script, the text became this thing that we were able to, to truly play with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got inside our bodies before we even started Putting the words Your in our pores mouths. were open. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And everyone was like completely comfortable with each other. And like, you know, like Eric mentioned, there was no, um, insecurities, you know, cause a lot of people, you know, had to move, um, very femininely, not very femininely. And we actually spent a lot of time with working with different walks of, uh, uh, you know, just kind of experimenting with, you know, the other sides of people's inner makeup, you know, or just experimenting with, other energies that you may not be um, very uh, comfortable in presenting in your everyday life. Mm-hmm. You know, the uh, Ryan Murphy, the guitar player, is walking like a female. And mm-hmm. that's uh, that's not like him at all in real life. Right. But, you know, for this kind of chunk of time, it's just like everything went out the window and we just existed as bodies and people. And that uh, that was very yeah. exciting to watch that's and be really, a part really of. I would say a lot of the movement that we created was um, – 
sort of stemmed from an exploration of the gender binary, mm -hmm. which is not even how I think about gender, but for the purposes of 1969 and for this right. riot with two of our lead characters, um, who now we would probably, they would probably self-identify as transgender, right. as just transcending gender. Mm -hmm. Um, sure both Carson and Peg are, you know, they're not cisgender, uh, identified. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to, figure out where each of my performers lived in their understanding of their own gender mm -hmm. and then flip that and experiment with a hyperbolic version of whatever's the opposite on the binary. Mm -hmm. And so we did a lot of like fabulous drag queen walking like <laughs> up and down the garage space. We were able to rehearse in the garage space and uh thank you, Steppenwolf. And then, but then we did this like hyper butch, mm -hmm. you know, walking down the street, you know? Mm -hmm. And so the movement dance, violence workshop everything was sort of interplaying off each other yeah but our choreographer i have to say aaron did a, a fabulous job of an exploration of movement patterns in 1969 mm -hmm. what does a dance party look like in 69 yeah, right. versus right. 2012 right. and again um, how you make that with 10 people when and it's how do we a crowded bar right that was a, i think probably what all of us were most nervous about mm -hmm. is how are this we going to stage a dance party that turns into a riot right. with only 10, 10 actors bodies, right? So yeah, we had our work cut up yeah. for us. Well, how <laughs> and would the garage you... space is huge too. Yeah, so it's a big the garage stage. space is a big open space. And so to make that yeah. feel intimate and tight and claustrophobic and sweaty uh -huh. in February, uh -huh. um, was a trick. Was and awesome. I kept joking that we had to just like <laughs> turn the heat up in the uh, building. Uh, uh -huh. Let's get the audience to sweat a little bit. Yeah. Well, so how would you characterize the solution that you came to, to that problem? How do you make 10 people put on a riot? Well, Real quickly, the, the, the basic guideline for, for directing the big picture, um, for me was this concept of dilating and contracting the scenes. Mm -hmm. So if you come see the show, it starts with our characters sort of milling around the space using the audience aisles and, um, sitting in the audience laps mm -hmm. and using this catwalk that we have behind the audience. It's a big, open dilated scene it's just very open and loose right. mm -hmm. which is the feeling you get when you're at christopher park or sheridan square in the in the west village is that it's there's enough space where people can kind of keep to themselves and do their own thing and then we contract things at the same time um or at different times i should say so that was we did a lot of that work in the movement workshop mm -hmm. um playing with both violence and dance um, but my goal was to really, that the, that the eye would always be trained on one specific spot in the space right. and that the eye for the audience is always, you know, that if you're watching this PowerPoint of the stage, that you, that's what you're quote, that's what you should be watching mm -hmm. quote unquote. Whereas, um, and that's where a lot of Ryan's brilliant, I would say fight choreography takes place. That's where like the, the really intricate storytelling of the violence is taking place. But then we, we dilate the scene with all this other action that's going on around you. So the audience has to choose what they're really going to watch, even though we pretty carefully focus the eye on one specific place in the And that the creates theater. that feeling of chaos. That, is that yeah. what you're saying? That, I mean, my impression of the fight, it was something about the pace, I think, that made it feel so big and sprawling. I mean, there was just, oh, they, people, actors were coming in, starting a little scene, something else mm -hmm. was, was like tripping over it. That's my impression of it. But I don't know what else you could say, Ryan, about yeah, how you uh, do it. Well, I think it started off actually like 
many different ways that I was just pulling from all these different bits of information everyone was giving me. Uh, at one time, Eric had told me that uh, I'd never been to that area of New York at all. Mm-hmm. And you, you had mentioned that the actual physical ground layout of that area is just insane. And like streets, alleys everywhere. And mm-hmm. I guess during this uh, event, people were just running, cutting, going everywhere. And we had originally wanted to play with that but in the rehearsal room uh which we do have an element of people running all over the space but what i was really uh interested in is um kind of you know how we could get the audience to use their peripherals and their you know mm-hmm. um you follow walter's character the cop through this kind of crazy you know story of like different scenes popping you follow him like in these through these different moments of the riot um and you focus on that but while you're focusing on that you can see chaos happening there's other stuff going all on, around right? the space and if he moves over way over to stage right all of a sudden you're seeing what is actually going on over there coupled with the fight that's happening um but a lot of it was just trying to create this energy of chaos and how could we do that we had the great, you know, opportunity of having this rock band there. Right. And I didn't want to have the rock band fuel the movement. And I didn't want the movement to fuel the rock. It was just, it was, we had to find this weird balance of, um, kind of separating the rhythms. The rock band definitely builds in their song to mm. the, you know, climax of the, of the fight. Um, but I really had to talk with the actors a lot about trying to break up their rhythms mm, because fight I, against the rhythm yeah, of the and music. I didn't I didn't want it to come off as like a dance, a, a big dance. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think you know it's really effective because at some points it kind of meshed together, and then all of a sudden you know uh, Carson comes out and hits the cop in the face, and everything stops. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. these two elements, the music and the movement, kind of. They were connected at moments, but then they were separated, and then, you know... Well, and I was just thinking as you were talking that the music, although you, I, I understood very clearly what you were saying about not wanting the actors to fall into the r- rhythms of the music, but it does control the pace of the fight yeah. in a way that must be very helpful because... The energy of the whole fight. Like, the actors, I wanted them to feed off the energy that the music was giving them, not the rhythm and the beat. I would, I would say it's almost like a complicated domino effect. Yeah. Where... If you want, if you follow one actor's track during the riot scene, and what Ryan has done so brilliantly is that Tano, you know, he, he maybe throws a punch and he falls down and then he gets up and the thing right in front of him is a stairwell. So he runs up the stairwell, he makes a bunch of noise on the catwalk. And then when he goes back down the stairs, the cop is right in his face. And so then they are engaged in mm-hmm. a, in a skirmish. Mm-hmm. And then, um, he actually throws the cop down. And then the cop is now right face to face with Roberta, who then jumps on his back. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. reading this, this is not actually the sequence, right, but right. the idea here is that you could technically follow any one of our players around the space. And it's this, it's this little domino effect where everything that someone does is causing this ripple effect the next out thing. into the next thing. Mm-hmm. And I think what, what Ryan has also done is that he has created a world that feels you know, we always set out to create this fen- this incredible chaos of an di- of a disorganized group mm-hmm. of oppressed queer people, basically, mm-hmm. who suddenly were engaged in this physical brawl, and they mm-hmm. they were not trained fighters. Right, that's important. And right. so it it was really important that you know, and there's a lot of them versus the few cops that showed up that night. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For our stage, we have eight fighters and one cop. Mm-hmm. And so how do we have one cop, yeah. you know, make, how do we activate this scene that looks sloppy and right. crazy? And yet the actors, the players themselves are in control the entire time. If you look at old 
ways of fighting, old battles, you know. Um, it wasn't, a lot of times it was groups of people running at each other. That's how the battle started. Mm -hmm. But once the battle started, it kind of blew. Duels. Yeah, it, mm -hmm. you'd walk through, you see someone not fighting someone, you point, you're like, I'm going to fight you now. Right. And then you guys collectively decide to come together. Right. And whoever wins that battle puts that person behind them, looks to the next one, and right. that's how right. old armies used to take down other armies and i feel like I, that's what i was trying to capitalize on in this mm -hmm. where it was like in a riot it's very similar to this old method of right. battles because there is no trained battalion all moving together no, or something no. it's completely individual choices there's even this yeah. like tribal uh sort of yeah. braveheart scream moment <laughs> when you know something happens in the ensembles you know they've had it's the last straw and they they literally just scream in full volume, and then th someone throws a punch at the cop. Mm -hmm. it's, it, it is sort of the, is primal, I would say. Um, this, this aggression, we talk a lot about how everyone in this play boils over at some point. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, obviously in the riot, people are boiling over and they've had enough. But there's lots of little moments throughout the... Well, mm -hmm. that's a, yeah. I think that the... <laughs> The pleasure, and that is the word, the pleasure of watching a well-staged fight is very hard to articulate because it's really exciting and you feel the violence, but it's a, it's a very safe violence in the theater. I mean, you don't want any, it's important that you know that nobody's actually getting hurt. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's a moment in the theater where you need the distance, where you need to know that it's not real and yet be completely drawn in and convinced. I can't really articulate someone what that in, is. And I was in New York last week, and someone in New York who saw the show was, um, and this is a compliment for Ryan, is that um, she commented that the violence, it never feels so out of control that it makes the audience on edge in a bad way. Right. It keeps you on edge in the right way, yeah. which is not necessarily a good feeling because watching violence like that is for some people really uncomfortable mm -hmm. but it's in a theatrical level of right. discomfort mm -hmm. that 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 works theatrically speaking right and it's um, also the content behind it too there's something really powerful about seeing um you know carson who you see a scene earlier just getting totally degraded by this cop right. and then to have that character come in and you know does what she does to the mm -hmm. cop it's like that also makes that moment really powerful. Yeah, you can put any kind of hit in there, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, I had to choose my, you know, that specific move based on sight lines and what people could see, but it was the energy and the content behind that moment mm -hmm. that, um, I feel like really makes an audience member go like, I'd, I'd say also we were playing a lot in the, both the dance party that Aaron choreographed and as well as in the riot with what we're calling psychedelic moments. Mm -hmm. He's kind of, out of this world moments where mm -hmm. just for a couple seconds we are trying to take the audience out of reality and move into this sort of hyper surreal moment mm -hmm. where either it's this super sexy dance move that is just held for a couple seconds and then the lights come back to normal and we mm -hmm. keep dancing or in the violence um, we have this kind of trippy mosh pit moment where everyone is involved all of a sudden and yeah. all you see is limbs and yeah. hair right, right. and they're backlit and you don't know who's who. And that's very intentional because yeah. we don't know really what happened the first night of the riots. And so with only 10 people at our disposal and a rock band on stage, it's like, oh. well, and it's fitting with the style of the writing, I would say, which hovers in this on the edge of uh, poetic and Sort of more naturalistic dialogue and, and flips. It toggles, yeah, between yeah. the two. So what you're describing seems like an appropriate mm -hmm. way of 
expressing that in, in the staging. What I would say about the show, it, it, um, in the end, I wouldn't say it's like wildly different in the language that it uses. It's a, it's a show that has music and fighting and scenes and all the process that you're talking about, which I think is very particular to your company. In the end, what it does is it makes a really good show. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's it's not so much about that it's astonishingly different from anything you've seen. It's just different in that it's better than a lot of what you've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's really interesting to understand where that comes from. So I really appreciate your talking to me about it. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Mm-hmm.